0: We've been looking in the, the book of First uh, Peter, Second Peter, excuse me. I don't know why I have First Peter on my line. Um, maybe we should be in First Peter. Do that again. Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And uh, this morning, uh, last week we looked at knowing. Last couple of weeks we've been looking at the first opening verses there. And Peter talks about knowing your salvation. And the book of Second Peter here is all about knowledge. He wants us to know certain things. He wants us to remind us of certain things, as we'll see here today. Um, and knowing your salvation, about your salvation, was covered in the first 11 verses. And now we jump down to verse 12 through 15. And I just want to read that for you. And you can follow along in your Bibles. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's our text for this morning. Uh, it's important to understand that the word reminder or remember throughout Scripture um, is very important. And uh, we want to look at that today as we uh, look at this text. Um, and so this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about a reminder to remember. I don't know about you, but the older you get, it seems like your memory fails you. and. Uh, You know, if it wasn't for that little iPhone that I have with the little calendar on it, uh, I'd probably miss half the meetings I have planned. Um, And so I plan it out and put it in there, and it reminds me a day ahead and then a couple hours ahead and then 30 minutes ahead. It's like I don't need just one reminder. I need several. Um, And then even with that, sometimes I forget to put the stuff in the phone, so I'm just lost at that point. C.S. Lewis once said something along these lines, Christians don't need to be instructed as much as they need to be reminded. (laughs) That is so true. You know, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you know a lot of stuff about the word of God. You know a lot of stuff about your relationship with Christ. Um, His point is simply this, not that learning things is wrong, but his point is that most of us know just about all that we need to know to live our Christian lives. We don't lack the knowledge, it seems. We just tend to forget to put that knowledge into practice. For example, stop and think. The scriptures teach us that God is in control. Would you agree with that? That he's sovereign. That's not new information to you or to me. Neither is the promise that God says, you know what, I'm going to work all things together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's a very common verse. Most Christians know that verse. They've memorized that verse. They live by that verse. And yet, even though I know that, we have a tendency to forget those things. I remember when I was a youth pastor at First Baptist Church of Fremont, we had this uh, big van that hauled all these kids around. And one winter, uh, myself and another youth leader were taking them up to Yume Lake, up in the outside of Yosemite there, up in that area of the California for a winter camp. And it was a weekend deal. And so we got kind of start a little late on Friday. And it was beautiful weather when we started. Uh, but we got halfway up the mountain and it began to snow like crazy. I've never seen so much snow in my life. And uh, there's, you know, even the snow plows weren't doing anything. And um, it snowed so much that it, we got, you know, probably about three quarters of the way up this, the road that we needed to go to get up to the top of the mountain and go back down into Yume Lake. And um, it, it got so bad that we had to pull over on this windy, narrow road. It's just a two lane road. And uh, if you've ever been up to Yosemite, it's one of those roads. You know, you drive up, <laughs> it's, it's, it's one of those. And, uh, you know, you don't like driving on those kind of roads, let alone having to stop in the middle of a snowstorm and put on tire chains on a van full of teenagers. Um, so I had to pull over, and I remember getting back there and unlocking the back, getting the van, or the, the uh, tire chains out, and I'm concentrating on getting these tire chains on. You know, Lining them up, went back to the van, pulled them forward so they're sitting over the tire chains and I'm back there wrapping them around the, the tires and You know, I look up, and all the teenagers, they're everywhere. You know, half these kids probably never saw snow before, and they're they're just like, they're throwing snowballs, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, a car could come. I mean, the snow was, I mean, deep where we were at, even on the road, there was no sign of any vehicles. So I'm just focused on doing what I need to do to get them out of here, you know. And uh, I thought, if we stay here too long, even putting on the tire chains isn't going to do us any good. And uh, they're having a snowball fight in the middle of this whole thing, and finally, I, I get the, uh, the, the the right side of the, uh, the the tire chain on the other one 's already on, and i 'm looking for the little you know the little rubber uh, grommet strap thing that t- pulls the chain tight can 't find it can't find it anywhere i 'm thinking this is not going to be good. Look in the back of the van, the kids are having a heyday, and finally, I just realized it 's either not here i don 't know where it 's at and uh, so I thought you know we 're just going to have to do the best we can with this loose chain on this tire because I am not taking it back off. My fingers were like frozen. The kids were a mess. I get them back in the van and, you know, we, we start down the road and I'm thinking, well, if I go slow, there's no traffic, we'll, we'll be fine. Well, you know, we may have went a quarter mile, maybe a half a mile, and all of a sudden you hear that, that chain come loose and it sounds like it's just ripping the, the rear quarter panel of the van to shreds, Right. So I had no option but to pull over again. And the kids were like, what are you doing? I said, can't you hear that? You know, and, well, can't we just keep going? I said, well, no, we've got to fix this. You know? So I get out, and I'm back there. And, and I was just going to take the, 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 the chain off. And I thought, well, that's not going to work, one chain. And, and, and we're not going to be able to go anywhere. So I, I get back there, and straighten the, get the, the chain straightened out and everything. And I, I, I'm walking back to the, the, the front of the, the van, and uh, all the kids this time, luckily, uh, stayed in the vehicle. They didn't, you know, I, I kind of chided them for getting out and running around. So they're sitting in there. But by this time, they're they're wet, they're cold, and they're hungry. And at this point, I already know we've kind of missed the opening dinner because we just got a late start. And, uh, you know, we're, we're back there fooling with this chain. I go back to the, the cab of the... The, the car and uh, I realized I don't have my keys I don't have the keys to the van so I go back and I'm back there with this crazy dying flashlight you know and the kids are like what are you doing and I don't want to tell anybody because I'm freaking out myself you know I got a van load of kids on a snowy road in the middle of nowhere and I have no keys so I'm back there going through the snow my fingers are about ready to frozen and you know can't find them And if I'm halfway walking back up to the van, and I look, or as I'm walking back up to the van, I I look in the the, the foggy windows, because by this time, the, the windows are just covered with fog. And here's that rubber strap thing. One of the kids is using it as a noose around one of the other kids' neck. So I'm like, oh, there it is, you know. So immediately I'm thinking, this is good. You know, so I get, give me that thing. You know, what is it? I said, I've been looking for you. So I put it on the tire. I got the chain, but I have no keys, right? (laughs) So I'm back there fiddling with that. And all of a sudden... You know, I'm I'm trying to figure out what am I going to do? And what am I going to do? And all of a sudden, the van starts. And I'm thinking, what in the world? This is weird, you know. And I go back, who started the van? And I had a youth leader with me, and he thought that he'd help me. So he took the keys of the van out, thinking I had to unlock the back to put the strap on. And when he realized, no, I didn't need it, he just put the keys back in. And, oh, I'll tell you. (laughs) I mean, by that point in time, I get back in the van, all the kids in unison. When are we gonna be there? We're cold. We're wet, and we're hungry. It was just like fifteen, you know, just like fingers down the chalkboard, and I was about ready to, to lose it. And I just remember thinking, "Okay, wait a minute. Let's let's, let's refocus this." And the kid, you know, my mind was not on God at this point. It really wasn't. It just was, you know, it was it was. I was kind of in panic mode, to be honest with you. And I remember as soon as I got in the van and I sat down, I took a big deep breath and this kid behind me, he goes, you know, Pastor Steve, this is really irritating. (laughs) Having all this stuff go wrong, having to wait for you to put these these chains on being cold, being wet, being hungry. I mean, you know, my blood is going to my head real quick, right? I'm about ready to turn around and pop this kid in the face just because he's irritating me. And I'm upset, to be honest. We missed our first meal. I don't know what we're going to do for dinner, all this stuff. And then he says this. But, you know, Pastor Steve, God is in control. In all things. (sighs) You know what? That kid was exactly right. God was perfectly in control. He didn't abandon me with a van load of kids in the middle of a snowstorm on my way to Hume Lake on this windy little road. And immediately, as soon as he said those words, I realized, you know what? That's true. God is in control. He sees what's going on here. And immediately, it's almost my attitude changed. And, you know, that kid didn't tell me anything I didn't already know. He really didn't. He just reminded me of something that I needed to be reminded of. I had forgotten to remember that essential truth as we're going through life of all the truths to forget. That God is in control. That he works all things together for good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And well, see here in this first chapter of 2 Peter, he finishes the first chapter by telling his readers... That he's going to do for them what that kid in that van on that cold, dark night, snowy night, did for me. He says that it's his intention to remind them to remember some very important things about the Christian life. Some very important things. And so this week, we're going to look at these urgent reminders. And next week, we're going to talk about some powerful reassurances that he shares with us. But we're just going to look at verses 12 to 15 today. And I think that it's it's so important that we understand that even though we should strive as believers to grow in knowledge, right? We should want to learn new things about the word. We should want to learn new things about God. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But we also have to understand that we need to know about living the Christian life. It's not good enough just to know stuff. There's a lot of Christians that just know stuff. They can quote verses left and right. But they're not practically putting it to use in their lives. And they need to be reminded of that stuff that they already know. We don't need new information so much as we need to be reminded how to put that information into practice. And so Peter here says, I'm going to remind you of some things. And uh, I want you to remember these things. Now, if you think about it, um, the reason that he's doing this, if you look at verse 9, and we've already covered this, but I just want to remind you, the reason he's so intent on reminding us of these things, because in verse 9 it says, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted That he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter wants us to be reminded that we're saved. He wants us to be reminded that we've been forgiven of our sins. He wants us to be reminded that these qualities should be active that we went over last week in our life. And so Peter says here, I'm going to give you a reminder to remember certain things because I do not want you to become, as the scripture says here in the previous verse, verse 8, become ineffective and fruit, fruitless or unproductive. Now if you go around and you visit any kind of churches anywhere in the United States, it seems like they put a a prime, they're, they're obsessed with the idea of being creative and being innovative. It's like the more creative they can be and the more innovative they can be, somehow in their mind, that's successful as a church. And so you have churches all across the country doing all sorts of things to try to fit that mold of being creative and being innovative. Now, there's nothing wrong with that to a certain extent. I'm not downplaying that. But you have to keep it in balance. And I'm kind of of the persuasion that, you know what, if somebody comes up with something new, it's probably not true. (laughs) Because I put my trust in old things that are in the book that the Lord has already said he's going to build his church with. Things like the fellowship of believers, prayer, the teaching and preaching of God's word, evangelism. I don't think we need some new gimmick to grow God's church. I read an article this past week By Jeff Serotny, the title of the article was, Are Flat Screen Preachers a Fad? (laughs) And if you don't know what a flat screen preacher is, a lot of churches today are holding meetings and then they're setting up satellite meetings. So, you know, we open up a, a satellite meeting over here in the school across the street. And instead of having somebody pastor that church and preach there, what they do is they use technology of our day, which is neat technology. They videotape the pastor, and they stream him over there on a big flat screen or a video screen. And so the congregation is there, but there's there's no pastor there. (laughs) He's just a video image, a big talking head, you might say. And a lot of people, that works for them, and I'm not downplaying that, but I think it's a fad. I think sooner or later people are going to get tired of staring at a TV screen when you can, you can do that at home, right? I mean, you can turn on the Christian TV and watch Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah or some other wonderful pastor, teacher. I and mean, you have to be careful. Some of those are not too wonderful, so you've got to be discerning. But there's some great teachers on TV. I mean, if I wanted to do that, I'd do that. I wouldn't get up and have to get dressed and then go to church just to watch a pastor talking head on a flat screen. It seems kind of silly to me. Plus, there's no, there's no person there. I mean, he doesn't know if he's connecting with the people or not, because he's not there. Now, I understand if you had room restraints and you, you know you had to kind of make do with something overflow or whatever. I get that. I'm not like I said, I'm not here to be negative totally on that stuff. But I think it's a fad. And he calls the flat screen preacher the new bus you might not get that. But back in my days as a youth pastor, we had a bus ministry. And a major portion of the church budget went into the bus ministry. It went into fuel. It went into upkeep. It went into DMV. It went into insurance. And then we always had a fund to buy the next new bus or new van. And it was just like, wow, this is great. You know, if you bring more kids on a bus to church, you know, this is, this is a great thing. And it's a great ministry. I'm not downplaying it. I, I think it's great. But you know what? You don't see a lot of bus ministries today. There's some churches that still do it. But for the most part, the idea of a bus going through a neighborhood and taking little children with maybe one adult or maybe two on a bus to a foreign place maybe miles away from their home for a couple hours and then bringing them back, that that just goes against all social responsibility when it comes to parenting in my mind. And I saw it firsthand. I would go out on Thursday on on bus visitation, knock on doors. Hey, I want to pick up your kid for... I was single at the time. I wasn't even married. I want to pick up your kids for church. Oh, what what time? you know, 9 o'clock Sunday morning. What time do they come back? About 12.30. Okay, cool. Give them a flyer. They don't ask who I am. Sometimes they didn't even ask what church. They had no idea where these kids were going. And I thought, wow, this is, you know, and it was, it was only our due diligence on our side having them fill out a kind of a form so at least we'd have a contact number. If it wasn't for that, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have even cared. I mean, you, you try to do that today and you get arrested. You know, you could drive to a community and start picking up little kids on a bus and you're a single guy, you're going to get arrested. I mean, that's just not socially acceptable today for a very good reason. So the bus ministry kind of thing was a fad. And so I think sometimes we're so busy trying to invent new stuff for the church to do, we forget some of the basic things that God has already told us to do. And that's what Peter's role is here this morning with us. Remembering and forgetting are very important words in the Bible. I have a Bible program and I can just plug in remembering or I can plug in forgetting and it pops up all the verses. Throughout scripture where those words are found. One is back in Deuteronomy chapter 8. You can turn back there. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now Deuteronomy chapter 8. Is kind of a. You might say an explanation. Of the law of God. And as the children of Israel were. Coming to the promised land. And they were looking forward to being established by God and as a nation and, and there was going to be a theocracy over which God would rule. Um, ideally, they would be supremely blessed by God in this situation. And so God gave them some basic standards to live by. That's the law. And the Lord expressed fear that somehow They would lose sight of these standards. That they would somehow forget the basics of their faith. That somehow when they got prosperous or when they got comfortable. And that joy was theirs in the land. Somehow they would forget where it all came from. And that's what he wants to make sure doesn't happen. So look at what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. It says the whole commandment. That I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Now, if you know anything about the history of these people, you know that they basically disobeyed God at every corner, <laughs> uh, all through the wilderness. I mean, that, that's the whole purpose of this thing. I mean, that, they were just disobedient people. And Here they have a brand new generation of people that, you know, all this wilderness wandering, they're ready to go into the land. And in effect, what he's saying to them is, don't forget the things that your forefathers forgot. Learn your lesson. So in verse 2, he says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. In other words, don't forget where you came from. I think sometimes as believers, we're guilty of that. We forget where we came from. We forget that one time we were lost sinners. One time we were, didn't believe Christ. We didn't believe the words of Christ. We didn't believe the gospel. We were lost in our sins and trespasses. We were slaves, the Bible says, to sin. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget the commands of God. And he says, don't ever forget the work of God in your life. Sometimes you may not forget... From whence you came, but sometimes you forget the work of God and where he's taking you. Don't forget that. That God is actively working in his children to do his supreme sovereign will. Look all the way down in verse 11. It says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Verse 14. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Pride. Your heart be lifted up. You become prideful. You become self-centered. You become independent of God, not dependent. And when all that begins to happen, look at verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Can you imagine? These are God's people. These are people that God has blessed. And what they're saying is, hey, I'm here because of who I am. I I am a self-made man. Verse 18 and 19. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. As it is this day. Verse 19, and if you forget, look at this. If you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I, God, solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. That's That's a very, very strong word of warning to God's people. And I want you to know that God is interested in us being successful in our Christian living. He wants us to go to the next level. He wants us to mature in Christ. He wants us to know more about Him. But He also doesn't want us to forget some very basic truths. Look over at Jeremiah chapter three. When we think of the word "remember," this text pops up in my mind because it it, it talks basically about Israel and Judah. And if, if you know anything about this, basically the people went into the land and it seemed that everything was going okay for quite a while. They were under the judges and, and those judges basically were good. They were godly men who, who led the nation of Israel. And then what they decide? Well, you know what? Other, other countries have a king. We want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And so they got a king. Who was their king? Saul, right? Poor excuse for a king, but he that's what God gave him. And then there was David. And then there was David's wise son, Solomon. So they started off kind of poor, but it got a little better. But you know what? After Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split. You had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. You had two kingdoms now because they had issues. The kingdom of Israel was in the north. And the kingdom of Judah, as we know it, was in the south. There was ten, out of the 12, twelve tribes, ten tribes went with Israel. Two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, went in the south. And immediately, the northern tribes of Israel began to just kind of, just flagrantly go into idolatry, immorality. And by the year 722 BC, the northern kingdom had taken was, was taken themselves into captivity. And that kingdom never returned from that captivity. The only reason some of them got out was because they, they kind of made a headway for the southern kingdom because they didn't like what was going on in the north. So it's very important... That Jeremiah come and share with them some importances of reminding them, Judah, what happened up north. He's trying to save a remnant here. He's pointing to to Judah and Benjamin. He's saying, hey, don't forget what the guys did up, up north. And while Jeremiah is prophesying, Israel has already gone into captivity. They're already kind of a lost cause up north. They've already broken that whole situation Judah on the other hand had at least a couple good kings but from the time of that divided kingdom there wasn't one righteous king ever in the history of the northern kingdom of Israel not one and so they were just gone they were given over to their own desire they were doing whatever they want and so the southern kingdom should be able to look and this is out in full view of everyone I mean, the southern kingdom saw what was happening to Israel. The northern tribes, they saw it clearly. And they knew why it was happening, because they were being disobedient to God. God was really giving the south a graphic lesson of what happens when you don't bother to heed God's law. When you don't bother to do what God desires you to do. And so they, they found themselves basically at the same point that Israel did. Just prior to their judgment of captivity. They're disobedient. They're rebellious. They're indifferent. They're hypocritical. They're immoral. They're idolatrous. And they're right themselves, the southern kingdom, right on that edge of being judged. And so God sends him a remarkable man, Jeremiah. And what he wanted to do, his job... From God was basically to warn them. The southern kingdom. That they were going to go the same way as the north. if they didn't straighten some stuff out in their lives. Unfortunately they didn't. And they went into captivity. And he sent along another prophet. Named Ezekiel. And that's basically. What happened. And so we come to Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 6. And this is just a a, a beautiful text. Remember, he's reminding them of what happened up north. It says, The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, the faithless one, Israel? How she went up on every hill and under every green tree and there played the whore or the harlot? What, what, what's he saying? What is it that goes up, goes up on every hill? Well, see, in Canaan, the Canaanites worshiped Baal. And so in their limited thinking, they thought the higher they get, the closer they are to their God. And so Israel just followed right in their steps. Now, what was Israel supposed to do with all the Canaanites? Right? They're supposed to wipe them out. Well, they didn't. So they're, they're reaping the fruit of their own disobedience. And so they would fall into this kind of idolatrous worship. And it says in verse 7, And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. This is God speaking to Judah about Israel. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. They watched the whole thing in open view. Verse 8. She saw that for all the idolatries of the faithless one Israel, I had sent her away with a decree. What's it say? Of divorce. This is God's own people. I read in the book of Hosea, God's attitude about divorce. He says, I hate it. I hate it. I hate divorce. It's interesting. You look at this and you wonder sometimes God has to do what he hates. He says he divorced his own people. Because they played the harlot. They persisted in idolatry. They would not turn. They would not come back. And he says, Judah sat there and watched the whole thing. Look at verse 9. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adultery with stone and tree. Committed adultery with gods made out of stone and wood. That's what that means. They worshiped stupid rocks and stones. These are people that saw God work miraculous things in their presence. They forgot all that. There were down here worshiping rocks and trees. In verse 10, it says, Yet for all this, her sister, her treacherous, treacherous sister Judah, did not return to me with her whole heart. Whole heart, notice that. But in pretense, declares the Lord. In other words, to add to the sin of Israel, in Judah... You can just continue to, to kind of add on to those, those sins. You can add hypocrisy. In the northern kingdom of Israel, there really wasn't any true religion left at all. In the south, they still carried on the ritual of the temple because they had Jerusalem there. But it was all hypocritical. Their hearts had grown Cold. Look at verse 11. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself more righteous, look at this, than treacherous Judah. Why? Because they had the example. All they had to do is look at Israel and say, okay, they're doing this. God doesn't like it. Look at the consequences. We don't want to do that. But see, that's the deceptive nature of sin, isn't it? I mean, how many times do you have to read in the paper or watch on the news someone was arrested for pornography or somebody was divorced because of pornography or somebody was whatever. Relationship was disrupted because there was an addiction to pornography. And yet... We know what the consequences are. It's pretty clear. And yet, major amount of people deal with that issue every day. Why? Because they don't learn. They don't. They don't look, they look at somehow and they think somehow they're going to get away with it. Somehow, they're going to be the exception to the rule. doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. I was listening to a talk show the other day on the Christian radio, and they were talking to a lady in... She was talking about, yeah, I, was, I think she was single. And she was in an office and she got involved with a boss, I guess it was. I just heard bits and pieces of it. And the guy was asking her, didn't you know this was wrong? I mean, he's a married man. What, what are you thinking? She says, yeah, I just didn't think of it at the time. I just thought we, it would be okay. You know, I felt sorry for him. and you know, It just went on. You know? And I'm thinking, Wow. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that you shouldn't be sleeping with somebody other than your own wife. I mean, what, are we, what kind of world do we live in today? I mean, when you have politicians exposing themselves, taking pictures and putting it on Twitter. And these are bright, brilliant people, very gifted. And you wonder, what are they thinking? <laughs> really? I mean, do you think really that nobody would notice... And as a senator, or as a congressman, maybe you shouldn't be doing that kind of behavior. We have examples all over about the consequences of sin. And yet, so many times, as I said last week, our attitude is not so much, whoa, I need to stay away from that. Our attitude is, how close can I get? I want to get right up to the edge. Because I think somehow I'm going to be the exception to the rule. And you can take, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about pornography, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about drinking alcohol, hanging with the wrong crowd, it doesn't matter. Our attitude about that should be to run as far away from that stuff as we can. Sounds kind of narrow-minded, but man, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that those things are bad. A lot of the problems with our society are a result of those things. Well, you know, Jesus drank. The disciples drank wine. Beloved, if you honestly think that Jesus and the the disciples drank the same kind of wine that's available to us today, I don't don't know what you're thinking. It's not the case. Or we'd have a drunk Jesus and a drunk bunch of disciples because they always drank wine. It's a different... Society we live in and somehow we find ways of compromising certain things that God says, you know what? Be careful. I'm giving you examples all over the place. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore what God did in judgment. He's telling Judah to Israel. I mean, how did they ever get to this point? Look at verse twenty, Jeremiah three twenty. Surely, as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so have you been treacherous to me, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. And a voice of the Bar Heights is heard. Bar Heights is heard. The weeping and pleading of Israel's sons, because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten what. The Lord their God. They have perverted their way. They've forgotten the Lord their God. That's their whole problem right there. That's the problem with a lot of struggling Christians. They've forgotten the Lord their God. And if you continue to read, we're not going to do it this morning, through the end of chapter 3 and chapter 4, you'll find the main part of the nation never even bothered to respond to what the prophet Jeremiah was saying because they thought, you know what, I'm the exception to the rule. And ultimately, they too were taken right into captivity. But the whole point here is in verse 21, they forgot the Lord their God. I mean, how can you possibly forget that? I mean, when you go back and you itemize what God has done for his people in this situation, in this text, how could they possibly forget it? It's hard to understand. And yet, I think the Bible tells us. I mean, can you, as a Christian, honestly sit here today in your right mind and say, well, I guess I could get to a point where i just forget about God. You, you would say, no, I, I don't think I would go that far. You know what? Be careful. That's exactly what they thought. That's exactly what they thought. They thought somehow they were the exception to the rule. And I think it's so important for us to understand when it comes to God's rules and God's laws, there are no exceptions. There just aren't. And the whole gist of Jeremiah is based on their disobedience. Look back at chapter 2, verse 32. He says, yet my people have what? forgotten me days without number. Jump ahead to chapter 13, verse 25. This is your lot, the portion I have measured out to you, declares the Lord, because you have forgotten me and trusted in lies. Back in chapter 18, verse 15. My people have forgotten me. They make offerings to false gods. He's still calling them his people. But they've forgotten who he was. Chapter 23, verse 26. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart? Verse 27 of 23 says, Who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. And you go all the way to the very end of Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6. It's the same thing, it's the same story through the whole book. Says, My people have been lost, sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray, turning them away on the mountains. From mountain to hill they have gone. They have forgotten their resting place or their fold. Even Ezekiel saw it in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 12. says that you have forgotten me says the Lord your God in Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 my people are destroyed because lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge I reject you from being a priest to me and since you have forgotten the law of your God I will forget your children and the greatest chapter probably in all the Bible that speaks about Remembering or forgetting is over in Psalm 119. You can just turn over there quickly. Psalm 119. Just going to go through this real rapid fire. Psalm 119. Look at verse 16. I will not forget thy word. Look at verse 83. Psalm 119. 83. Yet do I not forget thy statutes. Verse 93, I will never forget thy precepts. Verse 109, I do not forget thy law. Verse 41, or 141, I do not forget thy precepts. Verse 153, I do not forget thy law. And the last verse, I do not forget your commandments. See, there's an importance, there's a premium by God set on remembering certain things. And we can't grow so comfortable in our Christian lives that unless someone's preaching something new, we're not interested. Sometimes we need to go over the old stuff. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things. Well, what are some keys to remembering things? What are some keys to help... Our memory bank work and function in a way that would glorify and honor God. Well, first of all, and he touched on it there in Jeremiah about the shepherds leading them astray. But first of all, it goes right back to 2 Peter and 2 Timothy. Where it talks about avoiding false teachers. Avoiding false teachers. It's so important that we understand that That is an important issue within the church. You know, when you talk to different people within the church, and sometimes you, you have to preach against certain errors or whatever, you know, I, I get this from people all the time. Well, I just think you're too narrow-minded. I, I, you know, I think that God's bigger than all that. I think that, you know, you, you're just, you know, focusing on too narrow-minded Doctrine, doctrinal things, and maybe you should lay off the doctrine because doctrine is divisive. What are they thinking? I heard one person tell me one time, well, in our church, you know, we don't talk a lot about theology because it's divisive. I wanted to say, do you know what theology is? Theology is the study of God. So you don't want to talk about God because it's divisive, but you go to church, you know, figure that one out. Sometimes it just gets so irritating to try to dice and slice and make everybody happy. I don't think we're called to do that, beloved. I think we're called to go to this book and say, here's what it says. Here's what we understand the word of God to say. I'm not going to focus on what it doesn't say or what it might say or maybe what it could say. I mean, somebody asked me the other day about Calvinism. Calvinism is a system of beliefs that basically talks about the doctrines of grace and puts it all on God. That we don't have anything to do with our salvation. We're we're sovereignly chosen by God. That we will be saved no matter what. We can't unsave ourselves. And they said, well... And there's, there's five points of Calvinism. Tulip is the thing, and you can do your own study on that. We're not going to get into all that today. But people make divisions in the church by saying, well, how many points of Calvinism do you believe? Do you believe all five points, or do you just believe three or two? And I said, look, first of all, I don't call myself a Calvinist. I'm a Biblicist. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I want to believe. Do I agree with Calvinism? Yes, I do, because I find it in the Bible, all over the place. And to be honest with you, I don't think you can be just a one or two or three or four point Calvinist. Either you take the whole thing or you walk away from the whole thing. Because either God is completely sovereign in our salvation or we are. There's no middle ground there. And I thought, you know, sometimes we shy away from discussions like that because even though the word of God teaches certain things because we don't want to be, quote, divisive. We don't want to narrow the net we're trying to throw out to the community. We need to avoid false teachers. That's why in 2 Timothy chapter 15, he says, you know what? If you avoid false teachers, he says there in verse 15, 2 Timothy chapter 2, do your best to present yourselves to God as a approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the what? Word of truth, not the word of truths, plural, the word of truth. Verse 16, but avoid a reverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Look at what it says, verse 18, who have what? swerved from the truth. Wow, Timothy, you were saying there's a, there's a way that you need to be on, and it's not this broad way? That's exactly what he's saying. They swerved from the truth. And the error that they were coming up with, was, was, it says that they said that the resurrection had already happened. It says that they are upsetting the faith of some. And down in verse 21 it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, this false teaching, he will be... What? A vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful for the master, ready for every good work. That's the goal of every Christian, that we should be used as a vessel honorably, set apart as holy, useful to our master for every good work. We shouldn't be trying to throw stuff in the vessel that has an adverse effect on that goal. We shouldn't be trying to figure out how close to sin we can get before it taints us. That's just not what we're called to do. The Bible over and over again says flee, flee, run as far away as you can. Avoid false teachers. I was flipping through the channels the other day and saw that uh, evangelist by the name of Todd Bentley is back at it over in South Africa. He's the guy that was in charge of the whole thing back down in, I think it was Lakeland, Florida, several years ago, where he talks about fire, fire, fire. Do you feel the fire? He's punching people and slapping people and all sorts of things in the name of Christ, claiming healings here and there. I watched it. I I just, I I couldn't get my mind around it. I mean, there's people flailing on the floors, there's, there's people screaming, and assistant, he's just weird himself. And I thought, man, what, what, what draws people to this stuff? It's an illusion. I believe if we avoid the false, and we let the true, we absorb ourselves with the truth constantly, that's how... It'll help us remember some of these basic things. We won't forget so quickly. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And this goes to the next point here. That we have to not only avoid false teachers, but we have to avoid sin. You have to avoid sin. Look at what it says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. There's different people that, you know, they read this text and they say, "Oh, that means everybody up in heaven is looking down on us and, you know. I mean, do you really think that when you go to heaven as a believer, that you're even going to look back at this sinful, sick, sin-stained earth? I don't think so. I think one of the witnesses he's talking about is all the witnesses that have gone before all this faith chapter preceding it. Look at look at what they did, how they were obedient to God and look at what happened. That's a witness. That's that's, you know, you hear sometimes in black churches. Can I get a witness? What's that mean? Exactly. It means, hey, you're you're in agreement. You know, you know that God's doing something here. You're excited about the Lord. So he says, we're surrounded by all that that God has done, all the cloud of witnesses. Let us us lay aside every weight. Don't get tangled up. in sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand. Of the throne of God. So this is almost what Jeremiah did in reverse. You know, Jeremiah said, hey, look at that northern kingdom. How God judged them for their disobedience. Judah, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. They didn't listen. They, they went ahead and were disobedient. God judged them. They were taken into captivity. Here it's almost the opposite. He's saying, look around and see what God does when people are obedient. People of faith. You're surrounded by witness after Witness. Of the goodness of God. The grace of God. Therefore, you know what? Don't get tangled up in in things that are going to pull you down in this world. Doesn't make sense. Don't allow that that sin to to get close. It says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. I was watching the show Cops. You know how kids wear their, their uh, jeans down around their, well, almost their knees, you know. they got everything showing, their dotted underwear and all sorts of things. But this one kid, he got pulled over, and uh, they were questioning him outside the car, and he was one of those kind of gangbanger type. He had his jeans way down, you know, and they were done searching him. They hadn't put him in handcuffs yet. And this kid thought, yeah, I'm just going to take off. So he starts running. Well, he made it like two feet trip, fell, and, you know, the police didn't even bother even, I mean, he was right there, but they just kind of looked and said, where are you going, you know, and his pants were already, they went down further to his knees, and he's kind of squirming around, and he couldn't do anything, you know, why, because he was tangled up, he was tangled up in his own clothes, that's what happens sometimes to us as believers, we forget the consequences of sin, we forget the power, the draw upon our own lustful hearts towards sin, And we think somehow, well, I'm going to be the exception to the rule. No, you're not. No, you're not. Even back in in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 tells us the same thing. 1 Peter 2 1. He says, There, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He says, put it away from you. Have nothing to do with it. Don't go there. We have to avoid false teachers. We also have to avoid sin. And then thirdly, for the positive, we're, we're to desire, First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Desire that, that pure milk of the word. Desire to study the word of God. I mean, when we're studying the Bible, it, it, it shouldn't matter what the study's about. It really shouldn't. I mean, I don't think that you should be looking at the title. Oh, they're going through Revelation. I've already been there, done that. I don't need to go through that again. Hello. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. So do I. We all do. It's not the subject matter. It's the idea that you're in the word. You're desiring it. I mean, when you desire something, you know, when I get a a crave for sugar, I don't even get a certain craving for anything. I just need some sugar. It could be gummy bears. It could be cotton candy. It could be whatever. I just want some sugar. It could be a Pepsi. I'm not real. I don't care what the sugar is. I just want some sugar. See, that's the kind of desire that... We should need for the, the Word of God that you know what when, when it's in this book we should desire it we should long to study it. So you set aside the false teaching, you set aside sin, and you absorb yourself in the Word of God. I guarantee you that that will help you remember certain things. Now that takes us to Second Peter chapter two, or 2 Peter chapter one verse. 12. And on the back of your outline, you have a list of these urgent reminders that Peter wanted them to know. The first one there is godly qualities. He says in verse 12, and we're going to go through this real fast. I intend always to remind you of these qualities. What qualities? What things? The things that we went over last week. The things about knowing our salvation. Things like the source of our salvation in verse 1, that we've obtained this gift. It's not something we came up with on our own. It's a gift. It talks about the substance of our salvation in verse 2. It talks about the sufficiency of our salvation in verses 3 and 4. And we've studied all this, and you can get the CD on it. And it talks about the surety of our salvation in verses 5 to 11. And he wants us to remember these things so that we're not end up blind, nearsighted, Unfruitful, ineffective as believers. And then in verse 12, he goes on, he says, I know that you know them. You know them, you're saved. You you, you have a saving knowledge of this stuff already. And I know that because he says in verse 12, you have security in your salvation, that you've been established. You've been established. It's not like a wave that's here today and gone tomorrow. No, you're established, it says, in the, what? Truth that you have. Verse 13. He talks about his authority to share these things with them. He says, I think it's right. In other words, you know what? God has put this on my heart, and I'm not backing away. You've heard this all before. I understand, but I don't care, because God has told me to do this. I think it right. My authority is to give you the truth. See, that should be the role of any teacher. You shouldn't be worried about, after you give them the truth, are they going to like you or dislike you. I mean, what kind of teacher is that? You'd be all over the map. Peter is expressing his authority here. And he talks about his role in verse 13 as well. He says, I think it right, as long as I am in this body to stir you up. That's his, his role, to stir you up. You know, you can use that in a negative sense, can't you? You have a group of people. Somebody comes into the group, they're just here to stir things up. What's that mean? They're here to cause trouble, Right? That happens in churches all the time. But here, it has the idea of a positive stirring up. It's not a negative thing. It's something that needs to be stirred up. Last week, I went to Tregon Research. You ever go down there, taste the little stuff, and they pay you? You're like a lab rat. (laughs) Put you in this little booth. It's all white. It's freezing in there. You get in there, and you sit there, and they open up a little door, and this one was for yogurt. So three days, about a half hour maybe each time, had to taste seven yogurts. <laughs> That's a tough one for me. But I got through it. Got my $105 at the end of the three days. That's good enough. Take my wife out to dinner or something. But I remember sitting there and they bring the yogurt out and they have it in a box. You're not allowed to take it out. You, you, you know, you're not supposed to know the name of it or anything. And on the survey, they said, when you eat yogurt fruited yogurt do you just eat from the top to the bottom uh do you just uh mix it all up or what's your way and i mix it all up so i remember stirring this stuff and some of this like there was no fruit on the bottom i don't think you know because i just couldn't get to it so you're eating this greek yogurt that's just not very good and uh i just remembered thinking whoa you know by the end of the three days i had my fill of yogurt it was just way too much yogurt but the idea here is that was a, a positive stirring. You know, you're, you're stirring up your yogurt. You want the fruit to be part of the yogurt so it doesn't taste so bad. Um, <laughs> at least that's my, my philosophy when I eat yogurt. And this, this word here, really, to stir up means to fully awake something, to arouse something, to stir it up, to get it going. Um, and it has the idea of stirring up somebody who's become slack in their service to God. Sometimes Sunday mornings people need to be aroused. They need to be aroused. They need to be stirred up. That's the idea here. That's his role. That's our role one for another. And then he says here that he understood his soon departure in verse 14. Look at this. You know, this is kind of like you're at the the the, the bed of somebody who's dying. And you're leaning in and they're trying to say something to you and you're trying, you're, you're saying, what, 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 do you, what do you want to say? And they're about ready to pass from this life into the next. You know, that, that would be a very solemn moment. That would be something you'd want to hear what that person is saying. And that's his idea here. He says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. How did he know that? Well, Jesus told him. You can read it for yourself back in, uh, where is it? John 21. He said, you know, you're you're, going to die. You're going to be martyred. No question about it. He knew that. He didn't know when, but he knew it. And when you stop and you think about that, you know what? He's telling them, look, I'm not going to be around very long. And I want to help you remember these things. And then in verse 15, look at what he says. He says, and I will make every effort and this was a continued effort on peter's part so that after my departure you may be at, able at any time to recall these things what's you mean you know what i'm going to write these things down for you guys you ever you're out you're going to work or you're out maybe you're at work and the wife calls and hey could you stop at the store and pick up a half you know a dozen eggs and a loaf of bread and you know two avocados and tomatoes You know, she starts on that list thing. I said, text me. (laughs) It's real simple. Text me. Email me. Well, no, I just need... I don't care if you need one thing. Text me. Because I'll forget. Okay, I just do. I've been walking around Key Market sometimes. I'm not going to call her, man. I'm too prideful to call her back. It's just one thing. I can't remember what it is. God wants us to remember these basic things, beloved. And I think that... He wants us to remember that Peter here is being diligent in every way to share with these people and with us these items that are so, so important for us to to remember because it makes a big difference in the way you live now. If you remember things in your past, maybe mistakes you've made and how you've handled yourself, that's going to affect the way you you deal with that in the future. It's the same way in a spiritual life. Don't ever lose sight of where you've come from. Don't ever lose sight that, you know what? God has saved me for a purpose. Am I fulfilling that purpose? Or am I one of these blind people, nearsighted people that's ineffective and unfruitful? That's not honoring to Christ. That's not honoring to God. He desires so much more from us. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, we... uh, Have a lot to remember. Father, I pray that you would remind us of the things that you plan to do in and through us. And Lord, that your plans, we're going to find out next week, even go into eternity. How exciting that is! It doesn't all stop when we we give up this body and enter eternity. We really need to be reminded who we're dealing with here. We're dealing with Jesus Christ, we're dealing with the majestic, glorious Son of God. The one who created the world that we see. He sustains the world each and every day. He redeemed the world. And he reigns supreme over it. It's his world and he's in control of it. Ultimately, sovereignly. Sure, Satan makes his way around. But that's only under the sovereign hand of God. And that tells me that even when we're not in control... When maybe our emotions get a little out of control. When circumstances get out of control. When lives get out of control. That means that he's going to carry you through those times. And he'll make good on his promises. Lord, I pray today if there's anyone here who's yet to put their faith or trust in you. That they would understand that you're a God who is real. You're personal. You desire the best for us. You created us. Your grace is overflowing. And Father, you desire to have a relationship with us in a way that no other God could ever. And you promise to save all those who put their faith and trust in you and in your Son as Lord and Savior. We ask that you would move and work in and through our hearts. And we look forward, as Peter did, for that one day when we will truly be with you. And we'll give up this body and be ushered into your presence. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.